Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Michael Gormley, and I'm here to welcome you to the next Relic Reveal video. I'm excited about this one because I've been there, done that, love this saint. We are talking about Santa Chiara, St. Clair of Assisi. St. Clair of Assisi, as many of you know, shares uh, half a name with another saint so-and-so of Assisi, St. Francis. In fact, they were spiritual companions. He preached at Lent when she was just 18 years old, and she left behind a, a life of not just incredible wealth, but true nobility. Her father's side of the family is an ancient Roman family, right? So these people were not just loaded. They were known. They were respected. They were revered. Okay, so when Santa Chiar, when young Claire hears Francis preaching in Assisi, it so moved her out of love for Christ that she made a commitment then and there to give her life to him. So she began to talk to St. Francis to kind of figure out uh, what this would look like in her own life. She rendezvous in the middle of the night with Francis at the wonderful Portiuncula church and they meet and he discusses what could her rule of life look like? What could her life look like is she imitated the way St. Francis of Assisi is imitating Christ. I want to make one note here, people. You see the witness to the gospel of St. Francis of Assisi immediately branches out into the life of Claire. Claire and Francis, they were both rich, but she was a whole order of magnitude higher up on the social hierarchy. And yet, and yet, his witness of radical love for Christ, loving God the way God deserved to be loved, here it reverberated into the heart of Claire. Now, you might know her legacy of founding what we call the Poor Clares or the Order of St. Clair. Her mission, her workers, thousands and thousands all over the world. But it, it started with such humble beginnings, a Lenten homily series preached by St. Francis of Assisi. You know, we're coming up to Lent now, and it is awesome to hear stories of the saints and remind ourselves that you know, 1,200 years after the resurrection of Christ, lives are still moved by Christ Jesus and his gospel. So Claire, what does she do? 18 years old, she meets with Francis, she resolves to live this life, and he sends her to a Benedictine monastery so she can begin to be formed under those sisters. Here's an interesting historical note. This is in the Middle Ages. Uh, the world is finally starting to arise out of the Dark Ages after the collapse of the Roman Empire. Some places did better than others. Italy was pretty okay, but women who were unmarried, single women, whether they were uh, monastics or not, they were not allowed to just roam like the Franciscans. The Franciscans were mendicant orders, which meant that many of them walked from city to city, just like St. Thomas Aquinas did. They all walked everywhere. They begged in every city. Actually, the begging gave them access to the cities, which gave them access to the people. Well, Claire wasn't even allowed to do that by law, by the you know, laws of the time. So what they did was they would build monasteries, and then from those monasteries and convents, they would go out into the city during the day, and they would beg, and they would teach, and they would serve. So this is where her story reminds us of people like St. Thomas Aquinas, right? His story would be lived in Italy about 20 years later following some major themes and notes of hers. She goes, a daughter of a very wealthy nobleman, goes off to join the religious order, her parents freaking out that she's following this crazy man, Francis, right? 
But in that, they tried to kidnap her and haul her physically back. So her uncles show up, dad's brothers, you know, they're there in mass, strong men to pull her out. And what does she do? Well, first, she chops off her, her hair, her beautiful hair, right? She exchanged her rich, fancy dress for a simple, rough, woolen robe, symbolic of Francis's vow of poverty, now has become hers. And then she clung to the altar of that Benedictine monastery to the point where her stubbornness overruled their strength and she pledged crying out I will have no other husband but Jesus and they were overcome by her faithfulness they eventually left her and let her make vows funny story a few uh, months or years later her sister would actually end up joining her in the party I didn't mention this her mom did too after her mother after father husband died yeah whoa and here's the best part. Her own mother joins the order. I think maybe with Claire, her sister, and her mom in that order, this is where their original title came from, the poor ladies. Ladies doesn't mean like the difference between gentlemen is like bathroom cells or something. Ladies meant noble women. That was a very important title, right? So here were the poor ladies, right? You can imagine this. Well, what did she do? She lived a life of extreme poverty. Now, the same things afflicted her that afflicted St. Francis of Assisi. People looked at their life and said, it's too radical. One of my favorite stories of St. Francis is Pope Innocent III called him to Rome. He had a lot of problems with how he was living and forming this order. And his order was just the most austere passages from the New Testament, from the Gospels, from the lips of Jesus. And so Innocent looks at this. He says, no one can live this life. And his, his chaplain at the time who was with him was like, you can't say that. And he's like, what do you mean I can't say that? And he's like, because you're saying the gospel can't be lived. What about grace? And he's like, ah, okay. Her love of poverty was considered to be so radical, just like Francis's, that people began interceding to break them of their vows of poverty and uh, and these new higher levels. Now, what was so different about this vow of poverty versus, say, the Benedictines? Well, the interesting thing with the Clares and the Franciscans is their order was predicated not just on individual poverty, I don't own anything, but also on communal poverty. We don't own anything. Maybe other than the building, we don't own anything. We beg and rely on providence. And so, so many people were like, nope, 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 you can't do that. But Francis and Claire knew their history well. They knew people like Bernard of Clairvaux, who was writing just a few years beforehand, had to reform the Benedictine order because once you start a, a well-disciplined organization, it becomes rich. And once it becomes rich, it becomes corrupted. And once it becomes corrupted, it all falls apart. And so the idea of this was, well, let's just stave it off before it even becomes a problem. Let's have communal as well as individual poverty. Eventually, Pope uh, Innocent IV would come to Claire and ask her to renounce this poverty of which she said, I need to be absolved of my sins, but of my obligation to follow Jesus, I do not wish to be absolved. It is important for us to understand what poverty meant in this world right? What it meant, I mean, think about us. We have huge social safety nets and systems, and we can walk into hospitals, even if we don't have insurance, to get critical care and all this stuff. They had nothing like that in these cultures. People with money had more options even than today. And so you have someone like Claire volunteering, though she was rich, to become poor so that those who are poor around her 
for Christ's sake, can become rich. This is her following Jesus Christ. This is the power and the momentum of vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. This is something that I feel like we are losing touch of in our society because this is what made Claire untouchable and incorruptible by this world, right? She did not care for pretty dresses. She did not care for the favors and affections of people, especially men. What she did was commit herself to a radical life of pleasing Jesus Christ. And in so doing, she created a movement that is still reverberating through our world 800 years later. Claire would eventually return to or, or begin to build up the monastery of San Damiano, which is famously the church that um, St. Francis built physically with his own hands when he heard the voice of Christ say, rebuild my church. She lived there. They built some cells for her and her sister, and then it became a full-on monastery. It was at this time while Claire was in the monastery of San Damiano that on two separate occasions, Armies came after her monastery and the town of Assisi. Now, it's nuts, but Frederick II, I've mentioned him in other movies, or in other, yeah, in other videos. <laughs> Frederick II, the Holy Roman Emperor, his armies came down. Uh, another set of armies came up. This is all near the Papal States and warring parties. The Middle Ages could get pretty, pretty crazy, okay? What ended up happening was they come out, and what did Claire do? She took the Eucharist, a consecrated host from Mass, placed it inside the monstrance, right? And the monstrance comes from the Latin word for to make visible appearance, where we get the word demonstrate. She puts it inside a monstrance, and she processes it out in front of the armies on two separate occasions, and she demands them to leave. Then she falls on her knees in prayer and praise, begging God for help and especially of Frederick II's armies, it said that the fear was sown through the armies and the men ran as fast as they could from that place. And here's the interesting thing. They didn't go into Assisi, right? They didn't raid the towns. They didn't, they just booked it and not a single person was killed. That is why St. Clair of Assisi, her remains were first kept in the beautiful church of uh, San Giorgio, where she heard Francis speak, but then eventually is in the beautiful basilica of Santa Chiara, right? St. Clair's own basilica. The townsfolk loved Clare like they did Francis. From this point, Clare becomes a major figure in the life of the Italian church. Eventually, not just kings, bishops, priests would seek her aid, but the Pope himself repeatedly. In fact, when she was near her deathbed, Pope Innocent IV wanted to canonize her on the spot. His advisors basically said, you really shouldn't do that. because. But there were so many things attributed to her that her life of sanctity, the miracles that she worked, everything was undeniable. This woman was sold out for Christ Jesus. So instead of canonizing her on the spot, what he did was when they were about to offer her funeral mass, he required them to use the office of saintly virgins instead of the office for the dead for the praying of prayers at the funeral mass, which was a rather controversial move, but I think Jay would say this and I'd agree with him. Bold move, Pope Innocent IV, bold move. Eventually, a few short years later, she was canonized by Pope Alexander IV. The, the investigation into her miracles would, would just took like nine days. I mean, everyone knew that her sanctity was, uh, was evident in everything that she did. Now, how do we look at our lives? How do we follow Christ as individuals through the lens of St. Clair, because as St. Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. How do we look at Clair? Well, number one, don't discount teenagers. Don't discount the young. Claire was 18 years old when she made a commitment that reverberated, and I keep using that phrase, throughout her entire life. That's important. 
You and I make life-altering decisions all the time, where we're going to live, where we're going to move, what church we're going to worship, right? Who we're going to vote for, right? But the idea is so often we've softened this stuff for, the, for teenagers, and we've lost our sense of great expectations for them and from them. Here is Claire, 18 years old, and her yes to Christ carried her throughout her whole life. Another thing that I think you and I can really grasp is maybe we're not going to take a radical vow of poverty. But I think we can all agree that there has to be some sort of movement to gospel simplicity in our own lives and in our own hearts. Now, me and Jay are nerds. Jay probably wouldn't say that about himself, but Jay and I love technology, and there's so much whiz-bang that is out there that we're just like, oh, right? But it is so easy to get taken up by the marketing speak and by the new wonderful things that we have in our culture that it's so easy and accessible, but, but. The vows of poverty that the monastics take and the friars and the holy virgins and all this stuff that they take need to touch our lay person heart through simplicity, right? We need to understand that maybe what we have is given so that. It might be given to us so that we can bless our neighbors. Maybe we have a large home. How can I bless others? How can I use my wealth to bless others? Many of you listening to this are. You are doing this. Many of you just need an encouragement or maybe you need some direction. Pray to St. Clair. This is her role in the ministry, right? Harnessing the power of a joyful and generous heart to communicate God's love to others. And what better saint could we have than St. Clair right before Lent? She was converted at a Lenten sermon by St. Francis of Assisi, who our very own patron, St. Anthony of Padua, would become a traveling companion with. Her life overlaps with the life of both Francis and his love of poverty, and Thomas Aquinas in the nobility becoming one of these poor beggars. It, it is fascinating to see in the life of Claire, the life of St. Anthony of Padua. And so I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter how well-resourced or how lowly-resourced you might be, you too can become a lady or gentleman merged with the gospel of Christ. The nobility is yours through the sprinkled blood of the Son of God. We can enter into the gates of heaven with our heads held high, not because of what we accomplish, but what he accomplished for us. That's the true meaning of holiness. We set aside our airs and our masks so that Christ can set us free. Brothers and sisters, I'm so excited to go on this journey with you. We got a handful more saints left. We've already passed that middle of the way uh, marker, and we are making our way to the Our Lady of the Angels uh, Chapel Reliquary. It is going to be beautiful. I want to say this. Now, we are filming this on February 2nd, but the idea is we have our kickoff on Saturday, February 6th. I'm going to invite you all to this ceremonial groundbreaking with Bishop Schultz at our church, starting off with mass and then going back to where the chapel grounds are going to be. It's going to be a hoot and a half. I'm going to be running confirmation retreat, so keep our confirmandi, 285-something kids. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be nuts. But you know what it is? It's going to be touched by the grace of Jesus Christ. Keep us in your prayers. We'll keep praying for you, and I'll see you on the next Relic Reveal video. God bless.